Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hello, church, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I know this is a different Mother's Day than we're used to having, but we're just thankful. In fact, I want to give a a greater shout out to all the moms, especially in this time. Many of you moms are juggling so many things you normally juggle, but now on top of that, you've become teacher, you've become classroom monitor, you've become the after-school tutor, And you've become the homework helper. You are the school food coordinator. And you are the mediator, classroom mediator, when there is fights between siblings, besides being the usual cook and cleaner. So I just want to say kudos to you, moms. Uh, This has probably been a rougher time than normal, but you're all doing a great job, and thank you. Um, So today, uh, we're going to talk about God in a way where we understand his uh, personality and his love for us, not just as a father, but as a mother. So we see that that when God created mankind, it said he created the male and female. So the mother and the father uh, of a parent, the the two sides of parenting um, are both embodied in God. So when we look at God, we see father, and we see mother. And we're going to share some scriptures today that show us how God actually uses mothers to describe his love. He uses mothers to describe who he is. And and so it's going to be really good to look at that today, especially being Mother's Day. So, you know, we moms are capable of quite a lot. Uh, Being a mom is work and work that grabs our hearts. Uh, It's like nothing else. So, also, at the, on this job, there's hazards on this job. We have joys, but we also have great pain and hurts that we suffer as moms. And we take this job very seriously. Though many in the world would try to minimize it, it is a very serious job. And we all may have a variety of other jobs as well. And if you are a mom and you work other jobs, then you've just learned how to be a really good manager. Um, but one does not take away from the other. So we have a variety of additional jobs, but none of them are like being a parent and being a mom because other jobs we get satisfaction from. We get satisfaction, maybe if it's just the fact that we get a paycheck, that's satisfaction from our job. Maybe we're doing something we really like and we get satisfaction from that because we enjoy our work. Maybe we have our own business, and so we're, we get satisfaction out of seeing the growth, the productivity um, in our business, the profit. But none compares to the job of being a mom. And all those other jobs, you know, we can choose to change. We can choose another career. We can choose to leave that job and start another one. But the job of a mom never ends. We never walk away. It's never over. So, and, and I'm saying that because we need to understand this heart of God um, that is in the heart of a mom. So being a mom is not an easy job, and the rewards and satisfaction are not light. Um, 
We don't move on. Uh, nothing can fill that void or bring the same satisfaction, no job or career, as much as uh, what we gain from being a mom. And we're in it for life. We're in it for life. So God relates to moms. There are many times in scriptures that we're going to begin to explore now where God expresses his love for us using a female example. So um, we're going to understand the love of God and get to understand God through mothers. Sometimes we have to remove a wrong image to get a right image. And, and we want to get a better image of God through understanding him through the lens of a mom. But I'm going to read from Matthew 23. And, and if, if you know Matthew 23, you may think, well, that's a really odd scripture to be using. But the reason why is because we're going to see the context of what is the wrong image of God and what is the right image of God. And what is the wrong representation of God? And what is the right representation of God? And the reason why God wants a right representation is because he loves people. And, and, you know, if you love someone and you're distant from them, you want them to know how you feel. You want them to know who you are. If, if you send a messenger, you want that messenger to give the right representation. So we're going to understand this in Matthew 23, but I'm going to start with the end of the chapter first, the scripture, and then go back to the beginning. So Matthew 23, 37 is Jesus's lament over Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. So here we already see the, the, the mother heart of God, the care, the wanting to gather, the wanting to nurture, the wanting to care for. And God's motivation for us is love and care. And the motivation of all that he allows to happen is out of love and care. So we're going to go back to the beginning of Matthew now. And we're going to read because Jesus is having this discourse with the religious leaders. And this is important because they were the ones that were supposed to be representing him to the people. And so he's pretty upset in this discourse, as we'll see. And we see that when Jesus spoke to these religious leaders who were misrepresenting him, he got pretty intense. When I see Jesus dealing with just the average people that were stuck in situations that were stuck in what we call sin, that were stuck in bad lifestyles or habits in their life. Jesus seemed to show a lot of compassion. But when he spoke to these religious leaders, he was pretty tough on them. So we're going to read um, and understand that. So Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, and he said, the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do what they do. So you ever hear parents say, do what I say, but don't do what I do, when they feel like they're not doing the right thing? Well, Jesus is telling them, they're, they're trying to teach you the right things, but they're not living it. They're not doing it. So listen to what they say when they teach you from the scriptures, but don't do what they're doing. And, and he said, therefore, he said, they, this is what they do. They tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move any of those burdens with as much as a finger. And this is such a contrast 
to who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the one that said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is not looking to put burdens on us. He's looking to take burdens off of us. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he goes on to uh, talk about these uh, teachers of the law and, and religious leaders. And he said, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Again, here we see motivation of the heart, which God is always looking at the heart. So he said, they brought in their phylacteries and, and those are, they, they had little um, packets on their arms that they put scriptures into and they would make them bigger just so they'd stand out, just so everybody would notice them. And he said, they lengthen the tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets. And they love the chief seats in the synagogue. They love the respectful greetings in the marketplace, being called rabbi by men. And, and then he goes on to say, look, you know, don't call anyone rabbi or teacher or father because you really have one father and one teacher and one leader. And that's Christ. And, and he needed to say that because even though we have leadership and we do have church leadership, there's only one person that we really first need to look to, and that's Christ. He is the one that is our example because he is pure and he is perfect. And it says in Hebrews 8 that, that no longer would we even have to teach each other or say to each other, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So when, when, when Christ died on the cross and opens up the veil of the innermost place of the sanctuary, that meant that we all had the opportunity to have this relationship, this understanding, um, be able to know God for ourselves, which is so awesome. And then he goes on, and it's, it's, it's all the woes. It's these eight woes, he says to the religious leaders. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, and you don't enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those trying to enter in to go in. So they were stumbling blocks. They were supposed to help people find God, and instead they were standing in the way. And so God did not take kindly to that, to anyone standing in the way. And so you know that we can't lead someone in a path that we ourselves are not able to go. And so they were not on the right path, neither could they lead anyone else. He goes on, woe to you because you devour widows' houses and for a pretense you make long prayers. Again, it was about appearances sake. And, and he said, you travel around on sea and land to make one convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Wow, he's pretty intense. He says, woe to you blind guides. And he goes on to explain to them how they had the whole order of what was important out of whack. He, that, that the things that were the most important were not most important to them. That things were just out of order in their hearts and in their motivation. And he says to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you tithe on every single thing. You're very detailed. You tithe on the mint, the dill, the cumin, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So he, and then he says, you should have done these other things. I'm not telling you not to tithe. I'm not telling you not to give attention. But he's saying you should have done the latter first. 
and then also do those things. And we see that this is God's heart. We see this in Micah 6, 8, and it says, what does the Lord require of you? What does he want from you? But to do justly, to love kindness and mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so when we walk in that way of justice and loving kindness and mercy, we are our Father's representation. So then he goes on and he, he says, you're blind guides who you, you strain at the gnat and you swallow a camel. Um, and then he says, woe to you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside it's full of robbery and self-indulgence. First, clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also become clean. See, God wants a real clean, not a fake clean. And when we just make an appearance on the outside, that's a fake clean. He wants it to be where it's really on the inside. The work is done on the inside and it will reflect on the outside. And God's looking to work in our lives, in our hearts, on the inside. We should never worry about what people think about us. We should never worry about uh, appearances only. We should only worry, God, what do you see on the inside? And what do you want to work on on the inside? What needs to change? What, what can you do on my inside? And that will automatically reflect on our outside. He goes on and he calls them serpents. He calls them a brood of vipers. And he says, I'm sending you prophets and wise men. Some of them you will kill. Some of them you will scourge and persecute from city to city. He said, you, you built monuments for the prophets that were stoned, but yet I'm still sending you prophets and you're going to kill them as well. You're the sons of those that kill the prophets. You build them wonderful memorials, but then you will continue to kill the prophets. Then he says at the end of this, he said the blood of all that was shed, all the innocent blood, all the righteous blood that was shed from the time of Abel to the time of Zechariah, um, that all of that will be held accountable, accountable on this generation. And for those of us that know history, that actually happened within about a 40-year span. Jerusalem was destroyed. Jerusalem experienced the judgment of God. The most horrific destruction came upon them because they did not get it, because they did not see their God and did not uh, allow the work he wanted to do in their lives. And so they didn't see what was wrong. And it's not the average sinner that we think of, adulterers, thieves, that Jesus showed this intensity of disturbance, but it was a deeper and deeper an abandonment of justice, of mercy, and a greater practice and an increase of practice of greed and self-indulgence that was taken over the nation. And the religious leaders were leading the way and everyone was following them in the same way. The whole nation of Israel was going in the wrong direction because of those that were leading them. They were supposed to seek God themselves and then be there on behalf of the people. And even beyond that, God called the nation of Israel to know him and then to make him known to the nations around them. And so they were really botching that up bad. So they were misrepresenting who God was, not only to their own community, but to all those around them. And so he wanted, he, he, he had to deal with this. Um, God always leaves us room. He, he leaves us time. He brings discipline. And, and I want to share an understanding of the discipline of God. You know, I had a conversation with my grandson the other day. Um, and I was talking to, to Judah about this whole virus and, you know, about my mom and how I couldn't see my mom because she was secluded in a home and how I missed her. But we were doing this so she would be safe because older people 
were more susceptible to get really hurt from the sickness. So, you know, he was listening and understanding. And then, and then he said, he asked me an interesting question. He said, why is God making people sick? And, and, and I began to talk to him and I said, Judah, God isn't making people sick. God doesn't want anyone to be sick. He loves people. But he, does, he did allow it. And, and, and the reason why he allowed it is because God is trying to help us. Um, and, and so I said, think about your daddy. Does your daddy love you? It's like, yes. And does your daddy do everything for your good so to help you? And he said, yes. I said, God is, is like our daddy that, that loves us. And because he loves us, sometimes he has to do things to help us to find the right path in our life. So maybe he gives you time out. He says, no, I don't get time out. I'm like, okay, well, whatever, whatever um, dad and mom may do uh, when they have to teach you the right thing or respond to something that you did is wrong is for your good. And so in the same way, God is looking out for us and he's looking to find something in us. Um, God is, is trying to bring us to a place where we don't self-destruct. And sometimes it means that we have to go through hard things. And, and that's where we have to trust the love of God that is at the bottom of everything. We have to know who God is. That's why he cares about how he is represented. And, and so when we look at even all that's happening and happens um, in these past few months, as I began to pray and looking at, at the whole COVID, I said, God, what, what are you trying to get our attention for? What is it that you're looking for in us? What, it, what good can come out of the, this in us? What good can come out of this difficult time? What is it that you want to come out of this in our lives? What's out of order? What's not right? And let it start with us. You know, we who call ourselves the church, we who say we are followers of Jesus, are the first ones God's looking to find something in. So there may be disciplines, but there's hope, even in the discipline. There's mercy and compassion. And so I want to share with you some scriptures that really give you an understanding of God's deep love. Lamentations 3.21, and this is after one of the greatest times of God's discipline in his people who were just, there was just horrific things going on. And, and so there was a lot of consequences for those horrific things. And, and after they were seeing the outcome of those consequences, it says here, I call to mind and therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to all who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. And then in Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That's us. And we need to know that this is our God. So even in the midst of hardship, God has compassion on us. And he wants to bring us through the hardship. And in the process, he wants us to learn something. He wants us to understand. He's, he's looking for things that will change in our lives that will be for our own good, for the good of our children, for the good of all those around us. Um, so we'll go back to that last verse in Matthew 23, where he says, um, the lament over Jerusalem. And, and we'll see despite all the things that have happened and the consequences that may be happening, 
we see the heart of God at the end of this chapter. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together, to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. God's love is like the love of a mom. Moms don't let go. Moms don't quit. Moms don't find another job. Moms don't find other kids to replace theirs. They forge through for the sake of the love they have for their child. And God describes himself in this way as a mom. In, in Isaiah 49, it says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth mountains into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And this was God's answer. I love this. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she, that she has no compassion on the son of her womb? Not likely. He's, but even a woman may forget. Even a woman. It's unlikely. You don't see women abandon their children very often. But it's possible. But he said, even if a mother does, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. That's the love of God, the love that God has for you. This is the love of God for you. And mothers, I want to share something with you because God has the love in the heart of a mother towards us. He also empathizes with your heart, with your pain, with suffering you may go through as a mom, with hardships you go through. Only a mother understands the pain that pierces their heart with challenges that they have with their children. And sometimes those challenges are way more difficult when they're grown up than when they're little because we no longer have control of their decisions. But there's pain, and God understands. If you're experiencing pain, if you're experiencing heartache, know that God truly empathizes and truly understands because he experiences that pain with us, his children. And in, in closing, I want to share this um, if, if we understand the love of God through parents, it's, it's easier to understand it as a parent, to see the love God has for us as a parent, because we understand how we love our children. So imagine not only the love for a child, but let me leave you this thought. Imagine sending that child to suffer a gruesome death in order to rescue others. The love that God has. Now, would you sacrifice your child would you allow willfully your child to suffer if it was not necessary? See, Jesus had to suffer because if he didn't, if, if he didn't have to suffer, why in the world would God make him suffer? But see, Jesus' suffering brought us reconciliation to the Father, which means there is no other way. There is no other way. Jesus is the way. This is the love of God for you. This is how he provided salvation for you. So we need to understand that if God could have provided salvation, if he could have reconciled us back to himself through any other way, do you think he would have made his son suffer the gruesome death he did? I don't think so. So let's remember and understand that. And if you've not yet received Christ into your life, if you've not experienced that reconciliation, with our Father in heaven, 
and know his love and know the forgiveness and the healing that comes from, from being restored back to him, then I would encourage you to take time today and, and to, to just pray, to just ask him to come in your life and acknowledge that he is your savior. Acknowledge that the death Jesus died was for you and the suffering that the father let him suffer was for you. And so let it not be without cause. I encourage you, if you're not reconciled, be reconciled to God because that's the message we bring. That's the message every believer brings to the world, that God has provided a way, his love has made a way through our own disobedience, through our own ignorance, through our own stubbornness. Um, God has made a way, and he is so good, so loving, so compassionate. Um, so I, I that are out there. Um, so let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your great love, we thank you that you understand, moms, that you get us because you have the heart of a mom. You have, you have described yourself in the ways of a mom. And so we just ask your blessing, your encouragement, your strength and hope poured into the heart of every mom. Those that are struggling in whatever they're struggling with, you see those struggles. God, lift their hearts today and let them know that you understand them that you love them, and that you are there for them. We thank you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. And if any of you don't know if you have received Christ, don't know if you've made that connection to God, I just want to ask you to repeat this prayer after me so that you will be sure and have the assurance in your heart. So repeat this. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus, your only son, to die for me in my place so that I could be free, so that I would not be held accountable for any of the things that I have done, whether willful or not. Jesus, I believe that you took my place on the cross, and so I no longer have any judgment upon my life or any condemnation, and I receive that. I accept that. I acknowledge that. And I want to follow you and continue to know you better. Thank you. Thank you for your blood that was shed for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue to enjoy this wonderful Mother's Day. I, I, I hope that you get some breakfast in bed, some lunch prepared for you uh, from your family. And know that even though it's different than most Mother's Day, let God speak to you this Mother's Day. Let God speak to you through this time. Let God show us what is it that, that he wants to do in, in our lives because God will work good out of every hard situation because he's a good God. God bless you. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.